Let's pray. Father, thank you for your presence here today. Thank you for the great privilege we have to let the name of the Lord Jesus Christ roll off of our tongues in praise to you. Thank you that you are a God who has made a way, and through the blood of Christ we can come, just as we are, to the cross, and there your blood cleanses us from all sin. Father, would you challenge us and grow us now? Encourage us through your word, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Will you take your Bibles and will you turn to turn to Hebrews chapter 10? And uh, one of our young people, Gwen Grable, is on her way to the platform at this time. And Gwen is going to quote the first 18 verses. We're going to trim it down to the first 18 verses, not because they can't quote it, but because it's such a long chapter. And that's our text for today. So in keeping with our tradition in our Hebrew study, we've crossed into chapter 10 now. And this is Bryn Grable. I do that all the time. I didn't think I was that funny on my welcoming you to the platform. Uh, this would be Bryn. Her mother is Gwen. And uh, Bryn, forgive me for that very much. You are a senior in high school, right? And what do you plan to do next year? I'm going to go to Grove Speak City loudly College. and clearly, okay? I'm going to go to Grove City College. Grove City College, and your yeah. parents are alum there, huh? Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Well, it seemed to work for them. They met each other there, right? Yeah. So do you hope that happens to you too? Sure. Right. I, to oh, yeah. Whatever God wants, yeah. you say. What if God wanted you to be a single missionary to Africa for the next 50 years? Okay. Okay? Wow. He wants me that's to. a good girl right there. All right. Well, I shouldn't mess with you before you're ready to quote here, but... Uh, Uh, Bryn, thank you so much, and thank you for hiding God's Word in your heart and being a good example to our church. Let's listen to God's Word, Hebrews chapter 10, 1 through 18. For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never, with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually, year by year, make those who approach perfect. For them would they not have ceased to be offered? For the worshipers, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you do not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come, in the volume of the book it is written of me, to do your will, O God. Previously saying, sacrifice and offerings, burnt offerings and offerings for sin, you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then, I, then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first, that he may establish the second. By that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God, from that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. Um, For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us, for after he had said before, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds I will write them. Then he adds, Their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now, where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Bryn, so much. 
Well, if you have your Bibles open to Hebrews chapter 10, uh, we are, um, I think, going to make our goal of completing our study in the book of Hebrews by Memorial Day weekend. Um, and we have some, just some wonderful material that we've been dealing with and wonderful material still, great challenges. And uh, you'll want to definitely be a part of Hebrews chapter 11 and the great challenge of living by faith and all of those great examples. And then there's some specific exhortations to the church that are coming up. But where we've been, if you have your notes nearby, uh, by way of introduction, let's just remind ourselves that today now, chapter 10, verses 1 through 18 is our goal to get through in the next 30 minutes, is, has been a long sermonic section of teaching, specifically, as you know, based on our theme of Hebrews, that this Chapter 7, verse 1 through 10, 18 has just been a long teaching on the superiority of Christ and his role as, as a high priest. What the writer has been trying to convince <clears throat> these Jewish believers, I'm, I'm confident many of them were believers, let's just remind ourselves, they were probably a relatively small group of people. They had never encountered the living Christ in his earthly ministry. Someone had reached out to them. It is, many Bible students believe it was somewhere near Rome in Italy, a, a group of Hebrew folks there who knew the Old Testament very well, who were committed to Judaism, and they had begun to follow Christ. And then with persecution and with adversity, they had been tempted to turn back to Judaism. And many Bible students believe that that is the main purpose of the book of Hebrews, is trying to convince these dear ones not to go back to Judaism. And so you remember, you have to think Jewishly in this book. And that's why from chapter 7 to chapter 10, 18 today, it's heavy material, it's deep teaching about the tabernacle, about the sacrifices, about the high priest, about Aaron, about how Jesus Christ is of the order of Melchizedek, a superior order of priesthood than Aaron. And they would have understood all of these things very clearly because they were steeped in it, they grew up in it, we not so much, we don't understand this so much. And so it's been a bit repetitious to us. It's been a little bit hard to get our mind wrapped around it. They knew their Old Testament very well. We do not. The writer of Hebrews, almost all Bible scholars who study Hebrews believe that whoever the writer of Hebrews was, he was an expert in the Septuagint version of the Old Testament, the Greek translation of the Old Testament. He quotes from the Septuagint repeatedly. And most Bible students who study Hebrews maintain a strong belief that it's evident that the writer of Hebrews was an expert in the Old Testament, particularly the Greek scriptures. So he was writing to people who understood the Old Testament and they were receiving and were the recipients of material from someone who understood the Old Testament and the Old Covenant, the, the law under Moses the blood of bulls and goats. And so his whole task in a very detailed and deep-seated way that has been a little bit hard for us to wade through from chapter 7 through the middle of chapter 10 is to convince them of the high priestly ministry of Jesus Christ being superior 
to all else and that you don't want to go back to Judaism. The writer has shown that Jesus is superior in every way to the Levitical priesthood and that ultimately Christ alone brings the believer into full acceptance with God. That's a really important point in the paragraph of our introduction today. That Jesus Christ alone could bring you into full acceptance before a holy God and can give you a clear conscience and can bring you into the presence of God acceptably. Apart from all condemnation, the blood of bulls and goats could not do that. So why would you go back? Something the former priesthood and its animal sacrifices could never do was to bring you into the presence of a holy God with full acceptance. We were reminded yesterday, the memorial service, a 56-year-old woman, that the most important thing about us is whether or not we're ready to step into the presence of a holy God with full acceptance. Remember, he cannot look at sin. And so that's the whole issue here. How do we deal with our sin? So now, 18 verses in chapter 10 will conclude his final message and, and I thought of an illustration that I think will help us understand his teaching, which once again gets pretty deep. I used to have a picture. I still have it on my shelf. I have it in my hand right now. Um, uh, it's on the screen so you can see it better. But a picture that Janet gave me when we started dating. I was, we will celebrate our 36th year of marriage this spring. And so we were uh, in Bible college and uh, I am quite confident that, um, that never a more beautiful girl ever arrived on the campus of Appalachian Bible College. And so, uh, so me smart, me move fast. <laughs> and she gave me this picture. It's a great picture, isn't it? Her, it's one of her senior uh, portraits from her senior year of high school. And uh, so, of course, I had this in my room. I had it on my desk. I had it where I could see it. And I was thinking about this picture. I really love this picture. And I love this picture so much that I decided I should look at this picture more. And I told Janet this week, as we looked at the calendar and our anniversary trip is coming up, that she doesn't have to worry. She doesn't have to go on the anniversary trip. I'm going to take this picture with me on the anniversary trip. (laughs) I mean, this is Janet, isn't it? This is Janet, and, and she's well represented. And I love this picture, and I love looking at this picture, and I think, no, that would be utter nonsense, wouldn't it? If you have the real Janny baby to go on the trip with you, you take her with you. You don't take the picture. Listen, that's what the author's talking about here. He's talking about there has been a foreshadowing There has been an imaging. There has been a reflection of something that will come that is the real deal. And if you have the real deal, why would you go to the shadow? Why would you go to the imaging? Let's read our text. It's chapter 10, verses 1 through 4 to begin with. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come. All right? So this picture is a representation of good things to come. And on June 9th, 1984, those good things really stepped up. And, and, and the joy of the relationship 
only enhanced because now, from then on, we were together in person. All right? Not just a picture, the real person. That's what he's talking about here. The law was a picture. The law was a foreshadowing. The law was imagery. The law was symbolic. And it can never... It can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers have once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness, once, who, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, is there is a reminder of sins every year. That would be the annual day of atonement. And so in these sacrifices, every year we're just reminded and reminded and reminded. Remember last week, what are we reminded of? We're reminded of our guilt. We're reminded of the fact that something has to die for my sin. Something that didn't deserve to die, a nice little lamb or a goat died because of my sin and it didn't deserve to die and it took my place but the wages of sin is death and and so it's a picture it's a picture of my sinfulness it's a picture of my need for death for blood to flow to pay the penalty for sin because god's universal spiritual unequivocal law is that where there is sin there is death and death is always the result of sin and death is the penalty of sin And so there it is. And they just did it over and over and over. And if it had satisfied a holy God, wouldn't they have stopped? But no, verse 3, but in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year for it is impossible. That's one of the things they were supposed to get out of the Day of Atonement and the repetition of their sacrificial system. That these animals, these Animals shedding their blood for my sin will not remove my sin. It's just a temporary blotting. It just restores fellowship for now, and then next year we do it again. Because why? Verse 4, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. The first thing he wants them to understand is this matter of a spiritual impossibility. So you want to go back to the shadow. You want to go to the pencil sketch that the artist has put out on the board and there's no color and you can't really see the nuance and they've just very lightly taken a pencil and they've sketched an outline of what is to come but they have not taken their beautiful oil paints and put it on the canvas and brought out the full color of it all. And that's what the law was. That's what the animal blood was. That's what the sacrifices were. They were just a a sketching out on the board but there was so much more to come. And don't go back to that. I wanted to point out that um, um, there was a word that I saw that I I remembered something. um, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats, here it is, to take away sins. I thought it was interesting when I was studying this verse in the commentaries that the word study on that phrase in the ESV, take away sin, is the same exact word that's used in Luke 22.50 where the, the servant of Caiaphas, the high priest, took his sword and he cut off 
he cut off, or Peter took his sword and cut off the ear of the servant of Caiaphas, the high priest. He cut it off. He separated it. And, and he says, to, that's the same exact Greek word, to take it away. You cannot be cut off. You cannot be separated from your sin by the religious ritual of the blood of bulls and goats. I thought that was a great word picture because I always loved that story. And I could just see that ear flipping through the air and falling into dirt. It was cut off. It was cut off. It's a spiritual impossibility to deal with your guilty conscience and your sin through religious ritual and through the blood of animals. Secondly, he now wants to point, the writer does, to the personal humility of our Lord Jesus. Now we enter Christ. He's going to do so by quoting from Psalm 40, verses 6 through 8. Now I want, to see, I want you to see what he does. Verse 5. Consequently, okay, so he has just said verse 4. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, or therefore... Because of this reality that you cannot cut off and throw away your sin in any other way with with religious ritual, with the blood of bulls and goats, because of that, therefore, consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, now notice what it says, notice how he phrases it. The writer of Hebrews takes Psalm 40 and he puts it in the mouth of our Lord Jesus before before the incarnation. The writer of Hebrews takes Psalm 40 and and gives it as a quote as though Jesus in his pre-incarnate form was saying this in preparation to enter the world system and enter a fleshly body, okay? When consequently, when Christ came into the world, he, Christ said, but this is a quote from David in Psalm 40, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired. So it's like Jesus, the second member of the Godhead, is in heaven before the incarnation. He looks at the Father and he says, you really have not desired sacrifices and offerings. But a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Like, Can you picture the Son talking to the Father? Then I said, second member of the Godhead, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, he says to the Father, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. So it's a prophetic fulfillment of Jesus, the words of David, and the writer of Hebrews recognizes that it's a prophetic fulfillment, and he puts it in first person in the words of our Lord Jesus in a pre-incarnate form. So right before he leaves heaven, it's as though Jesus said this. God, my father, you never have delighted in the blood of bulls and goats. You have never delighted in sacrifices and offerings, but you've prepared a body for me. And what you really want is humble obedience. Humble obedience. You know, it it brings to mind, by the way, a story, and you could just jot this, or did I put it on there? Um, I did not. I did too. First Samuel 15, 22. You don't have to turn there. You'll remember the story. And remember the prophet Samuel comes to King Saul. Remember King Saul, head and shoulders taller than everybody else in Israel. First king. They begged for a king. God gave him a king. It went bad. Okay. He tells 
Saul and his army to go wipe out the Amalekites. Go wipe out the Amalekites. Saul goes and does it, comes back, but he really doesn't do it, does he? He saves the best of the sheep, the best of the calves, and he keeps old King Agag. (laughs) Name your dog Agag, not your son, okay? Oh, Agag. He brings him back. Samuel comes up. Saul gives him a report and says, Hey, my dear prophet, I have fulfilled the word of the Lord. And remember what Samuel says. I love the King James here. What meaneth thou the bleeding of sheep in mine ear? If you have fulfilled the word of the Lord, why do I hear sheep and calves bleeding in the background and what in the world is Agag here in a cage so you can have a victory march and show everybody that you conquered him you did not fulfill the word of the Lord and then Samuel says this has the Lord verse 22 of first Samuel 15 has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord so even listen to me Even in the Old Testament historical book here, and in this occasion, you have a reflection on the reality that the blood of bulls and goats does not really please God, but that ultimately what he's looking for is an obedient heart. Do you think I care about the blood of bulls and goats? In other words, can you impress a holy God with animal blood, innocent animal blood, amoral, amoral That animal didn't sin. It was all moral. Why is that meaningful to God? It's all about your brain that I'm working on, God says. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. So there is a reference in the historical books. We're back in Hebrews chapter 10, where the writer takes this quote from David in Psalm 40. Then what he's going to do, he takes the direct quote and now he restates it in in a little bit more sentence form okay so he's kind of you can see a parallel between verses eight and nine and verses five six and seven so look what he says when he said above okay the writer we're back to the writer you got to pay attention to your scriptures right now it's the beginning of verse eight when he said above when jesus said above what he just said what he just quoted sacrifices and offerings you have desired, but a body you've prepared for me. When he just said that, he said what? You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings. Notice that's what he just said from Psalm 40. Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings, that's verse six. We're in the middle of verse eight. He's repeating And in burnt offerings and sin offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. And then he said, verse 7, I have come, behold, to do your will, O God. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Okay, so 
It's a little tricky to get it, but do you see what he did? He used Psalm 40 in the first person as a quote from Jesus. Then he goes back and he points at what Jesus said. And he said, see, God has no delight in the blood of bulls and goats, but the body that God prepared for the second member of the Godhead, the Lord Jesus Christ, when he came, he did away with the old by putting on the new. That's a reference to the old covenant going away and the new covenant in the blood of Christ and the once and for all sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ in his body on the cross. He was the only body that ever qualified to die for sins and not, and he had no sin, but the sins of the whole world. You can kind of see what the writer's doing. And what this is, is ultimately, in my opinion, I'm capturing all those verses five through 10 with the wonderful humility of the Lord Jesus Christ. You could put Philippians two down, who taking the form of a servant, humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. And he took care of this problem that could not be taken care of. And the point here we want to get out of this is that God delights in obedience, not sacrifices. God delights in obedience. God wasn't impressed with all that blood. He was looking for the attitude of the heart. Thirdly, we have now referenced by the author a Levitical futility. Just a ritual of futility. The Levitical system was a ritual of futility. And every priest, verse 11, stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices that can never take care of sins. And the Jewish audience got that. Over and over since I was a little boy, we offer sacrifices. We take care of those lambs in a certain cage, in a certain pen, so they don't get scarred up. So we have a spotless lamb. And my father goes, and on the day of atonement, the whole city rolls in blood. And over and over and over, and it's just religious ritual. It is just liturgical to them. It lost its meaning to them to the degree that we have in the minor prophets and in the major prophets. The only difference between a major prophet and a minor prophet, by the way, is that one is real long. Isaiah, Jeremiah, they're long books to read. And the minor prophets are just a few pages. But what they were doing, what is that section of our Bible all about? It is calling out the prophetic voices of God's men, calling out to Israel. What are you doing? You're offering sacrifices to God that he's not pleased with. You see, they had totally bought in by then to just the sanctimonious, liturgical, religious ritual. And they said their prayers and counted their beads just as stinking fast as they could. And they offered an animal just in any way they could. And they would, and in, and in Malachi, God says, would somebody please just go slam the door of the temple closed? I'm sick of blind and lame animals being brought to me. They had even gotten to where they no longer offered God the best. They just gave him lame, blind animals to try to fulfill the letter of the law. God's not pleasing that. He wanted obedience. He wanted ears that would hear and hearts that would be tender. And so this Levitical futility was so obvious to them that over and over and over, verse 11, but look what happens, verse 12. But when Christ, okay, always a contrast here, he's always the writer contrasting Christ with the Old Testament, the new covenant with the old covenant. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins he sat down at the right hand of god that ought to be one of our favorite verses in all the bible right there you ought to underline that verse in your bible 
What we have here is the actual finality of dealing with sin in the eyes of a holy God. This is the actual final act. When Christ got to the cross and he offered himself for all time as the one single sacrifice. Single is in contrast to the repetition of the Old Testament sacrifice over and over because blood, and that goes back to verse four. Why? Because we have this spiritual, we have this spiritual impossibility. The blood of bulls and goats never can take away sin. It just can't do it. Only the blood or death of Christ can deal with it. Now look at the picture that word picture that he uses. And this is again where his audience would have understood exactly what he was talking about. Let me reread verse um, 11 and then pick up the rest. And every priest stands daily at his service offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin, here's the word picture that the Hebrews they would have gotten this immediately. He sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. You see, in the Old Testament, there were no chairs in the tabernacle. There were no chairs Why were there no chairs in the tabernacle or even in the temple? Because a priest never had time to finish his work. It goes back to verse 4. It goes back to, uh, to verse 11. The whole idea of the repetition. He stands daily, repeatedly, the same sacrifice. The priest cannot sit down in the Old Testament because he's never done killing animals. And he's never done with his ritual. But when Jesus Christ, the high priest, comes and offers his own self as a sacrifice and offers his own blood, it was once and for all done, accepted by the Father. And then he goes and he sits down in the Holy of Holies right next to the, right next to the Father, next to the mercy seat. And what was it a symbol of? And the Hebrew believers would have got this. He has no more work to do. He has no more work to do. And do you know why our cross is empty? Now, that's a small cross, And we thought about putting a bigger cross up there. Um, We're not embarrassed of the cross. But that cross was made by um, a guy named Bruce Rentilla at Independent Bible Church back in the early 90s for Bakerton Bible Church when our church started in the Old Stone Church and I wanted it brought here for this wall. But do you know why we don't have a Christ on the cross? You ever been to a church where there's a bloody Jesus hanging on the cross? I'll tell you, my friends, the reason we don't have a bloody Jesus on the cross is because it was once and done, and he ain't on the cross anymore. And he is seated at the right hand of the Father. And they would serve themselves well to take that bloody Jesus off the cross and put a chair there with King Jesus sitting in the chair, but we don't want to represent him like that. You following me? So this is... This isn't something Jesus did over and over. This was once and done, and it satisfied the demands of the heavenly Father. He then finishes the chapter in verses 15 through 18 with this covenantal reality. There is a covenantal reality. By the way, let me point out, especially for you quizzers that have memorized that what we have here, and I put the verses on number four, this... um, 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 Man, I'm sorry, I'm glitching here a minute. Uh, I won't do this in the next two surface, services. Um, okay, so just just let it go. I, I forgot what I was going to say. 
I was going to point out that this was a prophetic fulfillment of Psalm 110. That's what I was going to say. Verses 12 and 13 is a throwback to what was quoted already in here at Psalm 110, verse 1. And that's where he predicted that Jesus would be of the order of Melchizedek from the Psalms and that his enemies would be his footstool. That's where I was going in my brain. And he has predicted, and that's what it says in verse 13, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made his footstool for his feet. That part is unfulfilled, but that was predicted that the new priest would come of the order of Melchizedek in Psalm 110 and that there would be a new deal, a new covenant, and that ultimately his enemies would sit under his feet. And so that's a throwback there, and I wanted to make sure I pointed that out, uh, especially for our young people who are really understanding Hebrews at a pretty high level because of memorizing it. Let's repeat verse 14 and then finish it out. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified, separated from sin. The word, the word sanctification and sanctified used in Hebrews really is with the meaning of more of a justification. There's now no condemnation. You're sanctified. You're set apart from sin. And, and, and the way the writer of Hebrews uses the word sanctification is different than the way Paul uses it in Romans. And it's more like the way Paul uses the word justification in in Romans. Separated from sin, in the eyes of God, declared righteous, and there is no connection with your sin before God. You and your sin are now separated. That's what that means. He perfected with a single offering for all time those who are being sanctified, being set apart from their sin. And the Holy Spirit, one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit this Saturday, if you can make it, with John King. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness for us for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them. Quoting from Jeremiah 31 again. All right, we've seen this in chapter 8 already. This is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, declared the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. What's he talking about? In the new covenant, we no longer have God's word chiseled on stone. We're not in an external system of keeping the law. Under the new covenant, the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit and he, he puts the word of God in our hearts and in our minds. That's one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit. So in Christ, under the new covenant, we don't have a stone tablets that we're worried about, but we have a renewed heart. We have a renewed heart and mind to live for Christ from the inside out, not the outside in. God no longer writes his law on stone tablets, but rather the Holy Spirit bears witness of God's word in our hearts. And doesn't he do that when you're born again? And under the new covenant, the word of God just renews and regenerates, and it renews your mind, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Secondly, what it does, he says, and I will remember their sins no more, their lawless deeds no more. Was that true of the old covenant, that God would remember their sins no more? No, remember, they were just covered with the blood like a tablecloth, napkin on a tablecloth. But under the new covenant, God says, I will remember your sins no more. You think about that. How can God forget? He chooses to forget. He decides to forget. He puts it away. Ah, he, has, he has mental dimensions that we don't have. Okay? And so God says under the new covenant, when you're in Christ and you've been to the cross and your sin is forgiven, I'll remember that sin no more. And do you see why you need to forget some of your sin? 
If you've been to the cross and God has forgiven you with Christ's blood, not animal blood, not religious ritual, but with Christ's blood once and for all, and he's seated at the heavenlies at the mercy seat, and you're welcome into his presence, why do you keep dredging up memories of sin that God no longer remembers? And why would you keep asking forgiveness for sin that God forgave many years ago? See what I'm saying? And that's the new covenant truth. The old covenant people never could say that about God. Old covenant people could never say, hey, you know all that? That, ah, yeah, I know. Don't bring that to my mind. I'm so humiliated by that sin that I did. I wish I hadn't done that. In the old covenant, it could never really go away until it was washed with the blood of Christ. In the new covenant, it's gone and God remembers it no more when you confess and forsake your sin. And there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And so there is a complete forgiveness in Christ from sin by no merit of our own. With Christ's final sacrifice for sin comes the complete forgiveness of sin once and for all. Praise God. Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Praise his name forevermore. For endless days we will sing your praise. Why? Because he, he completed the work and he sat down and there he is. And he's our high priest representing us at the right hand of the Father. And so the writer of Hebrews concludes this long section of deep theology for those Ah, but it's not over yet. The last half of chapter 10, he's going to give another strong warning about falling away, and it's hard to understand. So what do we do with this message? Number one, ask yourself, are you trapped in religious ritual? Don't you get out of this passage that if you are in a system or you are of a mindset where your religious ritual is what makes you feel clean, you got to knock that off. And it is a grace system. And it is a system that the Holy Spirit will minister to you through the blood of Christ, through your salvation, and that sin is gone, and you do not need the repetitious prayers. You do not need the liturgical, repetitious formats of external religion. You need a relationship with Jesus Christ, who's your once-and-done high priest who made that sacrifice for you. So if you're depending on anything else for your feel-good spiritual life than the blood of Jesus Christ, you need to rethink your salvation. Number two, are you resting in the once and done and for all, once and for all finished work of Christ? I kind of already said that, didn't I? And number three, I just thought that that was a powerful reminder where he quotes Psalm 40 in the first person and then repeats it in verses 8 through 10. You take no delight in burnt offerings. But you're looking for a broken and contrite spirit. You're looking for someone who hears the word and obeys the word that you've written on their heart. Have you come to God with the sacrifice of a willing obedience? So no longer is our sacrifice that we bring to God a dead animal, a bled out animal. Our sacrifice to God is the willingness of obedience, to obey his word, to walk in step with the Holy Spirit under the new covenant. Amen? Well, I hope that's helpful to you, and I hope that makes a little bit of sense out of Hebrews chapter 10. Trust me, there's a whole lot more in Hebrews chapter 10, but that kind of catches it, and that's all I'm going to do with it. Will you stand and pray with me, please? Father, 
Thank you for the once and for all concluded ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. Thank you that we do not have to live in fear. We do not have to live with angst or consternation of wondering whether we're saved, whether we've done enough prayers, whether we've done enough routine of external religion, but we can enter into relationship with Jesus Christ by grace through faith in the finished work of Christ alone. Father, if there's any restless hearts here wanting to go back to old religion or wanting to not offer up the sacrifices of obedience, would you please deal with our hearts today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you as you go. Stay and go to Sunday school. You'll be blessed.